We're going back in time today to a mystical land called Minnesota. For over 30 years, wrestling in the American Midwest was dominated by Vern Gagne and his American Wrestling Association. Vern was a conservative guy, and even as the rest of the American wrestling world started to become more colorful and cartoonish, the AWA stayed the same. As Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair became huge stars in the 1980s, the AWA stuck with their long-term champion, Nick Bockwinkle. Bach had been at the top of the card for 20 years, but the AWA was reluctant to replace him until they could find a new star who could match his pedigree. As a result, the AWA of the 80s felt like it was stuck in the 60s, and Bachwinkle could be seen as the figurehead of that stagnation. Then along came Kurt Hennig. He was a second-generation wrestler like Bachwinkle. He was a consummate technician, like Bachwinkle. But unlike the aging Bachwinkle, he was hungry. Can this young lion defeat the old guard and usher in a new age for his promotion? This week on I Hate Wrestling, it's Kurt Hennig versus Nick Bockwinkle. Older school. It's a very special episode of the I Hate Wrestling Podcast. It's a holiday episode. It's a Thanksgiving episode. And Thanksgiving is all about one thing and one thing only. And that is... Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I was gonna say family. But uh, that's, that's, also a good, uh, that's also a good idea, Dad. Uh, my guest today is my, my very good father... A very good father. <laughs> a fine father, if you would. <laughs> father Further, that can't be right. Isn't it Father Further? Um, further Father. <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome uh, uh, Kevin O'Connell the First. Richard. Kevin, Kevin Richard O'Connell the First. So sorry. First of his name, King, uh, King of the Seven Kingdoms, and etc. Welcome, welcome to the show, Dad. Well, it's great to be here. I'm proud to be a part of it. Um, so my first question to you is, do you fully understand what a podcast is? Because I'm not sure that you do. Well, I've seen a Dale Jr. download, which is a sort of a podcast, so you, I'm, I'm there. You've seen it? I've seen it on TV. Oh, so it's not a podcast at all, then? Well, it's a, it's called the Dale, Dale Jr. download. <laughs> so it's, sure. a, it's a podcast. <laughs> but, it's a, but he talks and does his thing. Well, we are going to talk and do our thing. So well, just go. just like Dale Jr. If you if uh, listeners at home if uh, if you hear uh, laughing in the background, that's because uh, my mother, who you've you've heard before uh, in in several episodes, uh, has insisted on joining us. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> I, I thought I told you. Part now that we've established that you don't know what a podcast is, but you kind of know what uh, the Dale Jr. download is. Um, <laughs> sheltered life. <laughs> Do you, in fact, hate wrestling? No, I don't hate it. I don't, I don't really like it, but I don't hate it. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty popular opinion. Um, but you have, uh, uh, oddly enough, the two of us never really watched wrestling together when I was growing up, but you have some history with it. I think, yes. I think yeah, you, watched, I you watched it with my brother a little bit. That's right. And I think you also watched it a little bit before that even, because you told me at one point that you remembered it from the very, very early 80s, or maybe even the late yeah, 70s, when, late you were, 70s. when you were in the Army, right? And you, yes. were, you were in Texas. That's right. Junkyard dog, all that. Yeah. 
um, that was world class uh, championship wrestling. Yeah, so that you, was before the WWE. Yeah, so you saw guys like Junkyard Dog and uh, uh, Ted DiBiase before yep. he was the Million yep. Dollar Man. Ted DiBiase. And he was a, he was a fresh faced, uh, white meat, yeah, scrappy kind of guy. I don't know if you missed uh, the fabulous Freebirds and uh, the Von Erich brothers. The Von Erich, Kevin Von Erich, yeah, they were they were high school wrestlers. In yeah, the beginning. yeah. I think uh, I think probably some of them had died by the time you got there. Well, I, Very... had, nothing, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to state that fact right now. <laughs> yes, I'm the Kevin O'Connell who burned down the barn in sixth grade. Yes, that is me. But you, it was an accident. But you had nothing to do with the Von with... Eric set. No, no. <laughs> but thanks for asking. <laughs> So the Von Erichs, as you mentioned, were were accomplished high school wrestlers, as was the subject of our episode today, Kurt Hennig, who would later go on to great fame and fortune in the WWE as Mr. Perfect. But before he was Mr. Perfect, he was known as just by his 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 given name, his birth name, Kurt Hennig, and he was a big regional star in Midwest. So just as before, uh, you know, we're talking about the territory days, before WWE came along and bought up all these cable time slots and started broadcasting Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage coast to coast, you had regional wrestling stars. At the time, Kurt Hennig was a big star in the AWA, which was based in Minneapolis. A lot of guys, a lot of guys came from there who later, uh, Shawn Michaels started out there, uh, Sergeant Slaughter started out there, the Iron Sheik started out there. Hulk Hogan started out there. He was wrestling in the AWA when Rocky III came out, when he was Thunderlips. Right. When he blew up his Thunderlips, he went to Vern Gagne, who was the promoter, and he said, hey, uh, I want to raise. And Vern said, no. And Hogan said, well, why don't you at least give me, uh, give me a cut of the merchandise, like the Hulk Hogan t-shirts? And Vern said, no, I'm not doing that. So Hogan said, okay, bye. And he went to, uh, he went to WWE, and that was sort of par for the course. With the AWA, they were very, very, very traditional. They were very, very, very old school, and so they had a, a real hard time with promoting these younger guys. And they had uh, they had a very old talent base. So at this point, in the very early '80s, a lot of the cards looked exactly the same as they had looked since the 1960s, which means that your top stars are 50 years old. Yeah, it's old to be wrestling. <laughs> it's old. It's old to be wrestling, and it's you know, it's not to say that you can't wrestle when no. you're when you're forty or fifty years old. I mean, Ric Flair only finally was convinced to stop wrestling a couple of years ago, and he's seventy. Um, Terry Funk is still going. That guy's going to die in the ring. Uh, there's a guy in Japan, Jushin Thunder Liger, who's a great junior heavyweight wrestler. He's fifty years old, and he still does backflips. It's not to say that you can't be a successful wrestler when you're you know, 50 years old or, or even 60 years old. It's just that it's a tough sell to have the same guys be on top and expect them to draw crowds when they're the only guys you've seen your whole life. You know, if you go down to the wrestling show when you're 10 years old and you see, and you see these guys, you know, they're larger than life. And you go and you bring your own kids, and it's the same guys, and now they're old <laughs> and and broken down. It kind of removes some of the magic. Yeah. 
So the AWA definitely struggled with promoting younger talent. But they had something special with Kurt Hennig, who was better than his father ever was. He's better than 99% of wrestlers ever were. They gave him the name Mr. Perfect, and it wasn't really too far-fetched. He could really do anything you asked of him. What, uh, what sort of memories do you have of, uh, of Mr. Perfect? I remember that Bobby the Brain Heenan was his... His manager. His manager, and that, that was a big, you know, it was, it was his star. Yes, Yep, he was uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, first of all, everybody. One of my all-time favorite wrestling personalities. There's an episode dedicated just to Bobby the Brain Heenan coming down the pike at some point. But yeah, he had his whole Heenan family. And his Heenan family, you know, he had uh, he had tag teams, uh, like the Brain Busters, uh, on, his, uh, on, his, on his roster, on his payroll. He had Andre the Giant and... Haku and King Harley Race, and then he had some lower card guys like the Brooklyn Brawler, and they were all sort of in his, uh, you know, they would call him a stable, and he said, it's like, it's not a stable, a stable's where you keep horses. This is a family. <laughs> and one, and arguably, one of his two crown jewels was uh, the other one being Ravishing Rick Rude, the other one being Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, sort of just as a guy that you could you could hope would be, you know, the feather in your cap, the guy who could maybe win you a world title. Uh, Rick Rude and Kurt Hennig were both, actually grew up together, went to the same high school, were on the same wrestling team, believe it or not, in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. And then later on, both grew up to be professional wrestlers, both intercontinental champions, both members of the Heenan family. Pretty crazy. Yeah. But... Neither one of them ever won the WWE world title. But before that, Kurt Hennig, when he was much younger, uh, I want to say not even 30 yet, had an opportunity in the old AWA at the AWA World Heavyweight Championship, which was, at the time, still in the early 80s, one of the three uh, main prestigious championships in North America. You had the AWA Championship in the Midwest and the West Coast. You had the WWE Championship in the Northeast. And you had the NWA Championship, the South and uh, the Southwest. So that's why you would have Hulk Hogan as a world champion. Ric Flair is also the world champion. And for example, Nick Bockwinkle was the world champion in the AWA. And Nick Bockwinkle is uh, the other character in the match that we're uh, the match that we're watching today. He had been sort of the picture of a world champion because, like I said before, it was a situation where people were in the same roles that they had been in for years, for years and years and years, for decades. And Nick Bockwinkle was the guy who was in the role of the champion. He was the eternal champion. He was champion longer than Hulk Hogan ever was, or or even Ric Flair was. He was just uh, an institution. Did you ever uh, did you ever hear Nick Bockwinkle before today? Not, I don't remember him. So he was. Uh, it doesn't doesn't surprise me because by the time wrestling was starting to go national, he was in his fifties already, and he was really once the AWA kind of faded, he retired. But he was sort of like Ric Flair's dad, if that makes sense. He uh, he had the same kind of a uh, bleach blonde hair, the same sort of technical wrestling style. But he was not as uh, bombastic. 
Uh, he was more measured. He was a very classy champion. Always sports coats or suits. Always a Rolex watch, but never like Ric Flair screaming, This watch costs more than your house! <laughs> he was uh, very soft-spoken. Used a lot of, uh, of multi-syllabic words. He was always trying to get across that he was smarter than you. He would never say he was smarter than you, but he would make it very clear that he was smarter than you. Nick Bockwinkle was the kind of guy who would show up for his interview, and he would, no matter how much he hated his opponent, he would always call them Mr. Mr. Ganya. And he would, uh, he would complain, just like a, a wrestling villain should, that he's being cheated, you know, that uh, the referee was being biased. And uh, he would say, he would say, ladies and gentlemen, I come to tell you that your so-called hero, Mr. Vern Ganya, is no such thing. He's a cheat and a liar, and I'm here to demonstrate in just the manner that he is. Of course, blue-collar fans hated this guy because he's like uh, he's like your boss became a wrestler. You know, he's gonna talk he's gonna talk down to you, but he's gonna be polite because this is a workplace. You know, <laughs> so he was actually also managed by Bobby Heenan. In the uh, when Bobby was just starting out in the the seventies and the sixties, he was the manager of uh, of Nick Bockwinkel was his first major client, and Bockwinkel stayed behind because he was sort of the tent pole of the AWA when Bobby Heenan went to WWE, and in a lot of ways, he was a lot like Mister Perfect because he was very technical, very smart, very athletic. And he was also a second-generation wrestler. His father, Warren Bockwinkle, had been a wrestler in the 1940s. So, in a lot of ways, this match that we're going to watch today, Kurt Hennig versus Nick Bockwinkle, is a lot like, you know, a, a young lion fighting an old lion. You know, because we've got Nick Bockwinkle, who's been in his position for, God, 30 years now, and he's defending his title against... This kid that's almost a mirror image of him when he was coming up. It's a pretty poetic circumstance. Even even down to things like the fact that they were both managed by Bobby Heenan. Like wrestling in the mirror. Yeah, he's like, he's like wrestling a mirror. He's wrestling a younger mirror, if that makes sense. You know, they're probably equal in wrestling skill, but one of them's got more experience. One of them's got more stamina, obviously, because he's younger. So, you know, you've got the question, well, what wins? Is it youth or experience? So if everything else is equal... You know, so it's a pretty interesting, uh, it's a pretty interesting matchup, I would say. All right. Did you have any other, uh, any other I thoughts? I think I remember Kurt being a very accomplished wrestler. Yes. He was a real wrestler, like real wrestler moves, not crazy stuff, but real wrestler moves. Yeah, he was, uh, he was definitely, he was definitely technically skilled. He wrestled in, uh, he wrestled in high school. Never, never wrestled collegiately because he went, he went pro right out of high school uh, you know, as soon as he graduated, he was being uh, he was being groomed because Vern Gagne, who was the uh, the promoter of the AWA, was a big amateur wrestler. He had been on the U.S. Olympic team, not the freestyle team, but the Greco-Roman team. And the coaches decided that they didn't know enough about Greco-Roman, so they decided to withdraw the team. So he never got to compete, but he was an Olympian. When I did Greco-Roman wrestling one time. <laughs> and, one you, time. and you got suplexed. Oh, suplexed right off the bat. <laughs> it was very sad. <laughs> very sad. Knocks the air right at you, doesn't it? Oh, just, I, was, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> but it was, you know, we ate trouble, we tried. So. Yep, yep. Well, it's just like Vergania. 
But he had an eye for he had an eye for amateur wrestlers. He would go to the matches, you know, the sort of uh, surrounding area, the surrounding Twin Cities areas, and he would see people that he thought would be, you know, successful, and he would sort of, you know, slip him his card, like, hey, listen, if you ever want to go pro, and he had the he had a famously brutal training camp that was headed by the Iron Sheik. Your mother met the Iron Sheik. I know that it was sort of the most famously brutal wrestling training in the U.S. and Kurt Hennig was a guy who did it and who uh, really was an accomplished an accomplished athlete and not just a showman. But he also was a showman. He was steak and sizzle. It wasn't just one or the other. It's not like uh, it's not like Hulk Hogan who would just come and pose and land his catchphrases and tear his shirt and never did anything more complicated than a wrist lock. Kurt Hennig was a guy who could do literally anything that you elbow guys have He could do an Hulk, elbow drop. Hulk was big on the elbow drop. And the leg drop. He could drop anything. He could drop his pants. <laughs> That's how the divorce came. <laughs> Did you have any other questions? Any other thoughts? No. Any other feelings? No, I'm feeling good. <laughs> feeling fine. Okay, so uh, you can just go to YouTube and search Nick Bockwinkle versus Kurt Hennig. It is the one that happens on 5-2-1987. This is not their first meeting. They'd had one match before this. Uh, but this is uh, but this is the rematch. So we're gonna go ahead and in three, two, one, we will begin. Three, two, one, and here we go. Uh, he's uh, he's coming to the ring. Uh, Kurt Hennig's coming to the ring first, and uh, semi sweaty. He's uh, yeah, already a little bit sweaty. Uh, and we uh, we're probably going to wind up deleting what we talked about before. But you mentioned that uh, you mentioned that these guys are not. Big steroid guys, which was a popular thing in the '80s. Kurt Hennig has a—he's uh, a, clearly an athletic guy, a muscular guy, a big guy, but he doesn't have an unrealistic physique. Uh, and the same is true of Mr. Nick Bockwinkle, who uh, who we see here now coming to the ring, wearing his smoking jacket, <laughs> the leisure suit. Yep, and he looks like—I can't—I can never remember—I can never figure out who Nick Bockwinkle looks like, but he looks like somebody, doesn't he? Paul Newman. He does look a little bit like Paul Newman, actually. Without the salad dressing. Yeah, well, he looks like kind of an, uh, a big Paul Newman. Yeah, a big, a uh, large Paul Newman. Yep. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. Here's a uh, AWA president Stanley Blackburn in the ring. We'll get a look at this. Uh, this fellow. They don't make guys look like this anymore. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> but he's a very. I'm just saying he's a very sort of 1980s style of old man that I don't think. Uh, I don't think they make anymore. Um, so Kurt Hennig is, uh, he looks like he's about 19 years old here, but he's almost 30 and Nick Bockwinkle is fully 50 years old and he looks, he looks pretty good for his age. And, uh, here we have in the ring, Larry Zabisco. Do you remember Larry Zabisco? I remember the face. <laughs> well, how could you forget a face like that and a haircut like that? Well, the mullet was very popular. At the time. Yes. So Larry Zabisco was known as the new living legend because he had been the protege of Bruno Sammartino, who was uh, oh, who was a very famous wrestler in uh, New York in the uh, in the 60s and 70s. And Larry Zabisco was his protege who eventually turned on him and they had a huge blow-off match known as the Showdown at Shea where they sold out Shea Stadium. And Larry Zabisco, after kind of getting... Uh, driven out of the New York territory 
by Bruno San Martino wound up in the AWA. And he was sort of, uh, he eventually became AWA champion, but here he's sort of just like a gadfly buzzing around uh, saying that he wants whoever wins this match. This turd stirrer. Yeah, yeah, real, real turd stirrer is Larry Zabisco. And he's, uh, he's going to watch the match from the front row. He's worn a tuxedo. <laughs> and he uh and he basically wants to uh wants everybody to know that he considers himself to be the number one contender and he wants the winner of the match no matter who wins. And we have the we have the two guys getting uh getting patted down here. And the referee they're explaining uh you can't punch with a closed fist, you can't you can't pull somebody's hair, you're not allowed to purposely throw somebody out of the ring. Uh that last one is a uh, is an AWA specific uh, specific rule. In a lot of other wrestling territories, you were allowed to throw somebody out of the ring. It was okay if you fell out of the ring, but if you if your opponent threw you out of the ring on purpose, that was a disqualification. Well, you notice that Kurt Hang always goes right. Yes, always circles right, never yep. circles left. For some reason, that's his style. Yep. So there's a one point right there. If you ever wrestle him, <laughs> block him off. Yep. And here we're uh, we're locking up. We got a collar and elbow, and we got uh, Kurt Hennig pushes pushes Nick to the to the ropes. And look at that. It looked like he was he was ready to punch him. He was ready to punch him, but we're gonna we're gonna stick it uh, stick a little clean to begin with. Uh, we got uh, a standing switch here, and then uh, hip lock. A hip lock, and uh, Hennig wound up on top of him with a little head scissors, but Bachwinkle got out. They lock up again. This time, Bachwinkle gets around to the back. And Hennig's trying to break his, uh, break his grip, which, uh, think of the tendon strength of somebody who's been wrestling professionally for, for 30 years. It's got to be tough to break that kind of grip. Oh, and he drops down low and escapes. So it's uh, if you're scoring this, you got to score at one-one at this point because they both had an escape and they both had a takedown. So yep. it would be yeah. And now standing hammerlock. Yep, <laughs> yep. It's an overhead, uh, an overhead hammerlock. Not an armbar, but an uh, armbar get... would be under. Yep, and uh, Hennig rolls through. We get another escape. And you see these guys, they're clearly testing each other. They're kind of slowly circling, trying to look for holes in each other's defense. It's two of the same, the move twice in a row. Yep, he went for it, and uh, Hennig escaped it in half the time, the second time. So Bachwinkle, you would imagine, is not going to go for it again. He gets, uh, he gets powered into the corner. And this time again... He looked like he was ready to throw a punch, but we got a clean break. So you get the sense that these guys are just testing the waters, and things are going to pop off, but we don't know quite yet. Uh, this time, uh, oh, and uh, Hennig had a had a rear leg, leg lock, yeah, a rear wrist lock, and Bachwinkle dropped down, hit him with a drop toe hold, and escaped. And now we're getting another push to the corner. Oh, slap in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Pitch slapped him. Yep. And Bachwinkle just slapped him right in the face and the referee was yelling at him and he, he pantomimes like, like it was a slap. Like I'm allowed to slap him. I can't punch him, but I'm allowed to slap him. 
So you have to think that he's trying to get uh, this young guy not thinking straight. He's trying to piss him off so that he can make this uh, make this a chess match. And uh, do the same moves over and over. Yep. And but this time he, uh, he missed the headlock. He missed he missed the headlock, and it it seems like he might have uh, he rolled the dice on this, and it may have not been the wisest move because now he's essentially kicked the match into a higher gear with a younger man. As the older competitor, it's in his interest to keep things slow and to uh, and to not kick it up into a higher gear, and that's unfortunately what he's done. His idea, I think, was to get Kurt Hennig off his game, but he pissed him off enough that he kind of blitzed him, and now Bockwinkle's fighting from underneath. But that's why they call it rolling the dice, because it doesn't always come up in your favor. Yeah. So here we have uh, Bockwinkle fighting back to his feet, and he grabs Hennig by the hair and throws him into the ropes, but Hennig uh, explodes and knocks him over with a shoulder block, and here we go. The first big move of the match is a, a scoop slam, but Bockwinkle answers with his own. And but, he kicked to the face. And kicks to the face, and he's taken down again. And uh, it looked like, I think you would have to say that at this point, Kurt Hennig is in control of this match. Because Bockwinkle was able to escape, but Hennig was able to answer everything that he did. And now it's, what, 10 seconds later, and Bockwinkle's in exactly the same position. He's having, a, he's having a hard time. You know, before he was able to get out of this hold with a, with a head scissors. But I think by this point, Hennig has learned to keep his, his head craned forward to avoid those head scissors. And now Bockwinkle's attempting uh, a crossface to get him to give up this, uh, this headlock. But he's, uh, he's unable to, uh, to get the leverage to pull it off. And this is, uh, you see the referee checking for space under his shoulder to see if he can count a pin? I love little touches like that. A lot of, a lot of referees nowadays aren't doing that. They just know what move is supposed to have a pin after it, so they're checking. But this guy is, uh, he's really covering all the bases by really getting in there as if this is a real athletic contest and checking for, checking for daylight under that shoulder to see if he can start counting. And to his credit, Nick Bockwinkle was on the ground there for... A minute. A minute, but his uh, the referee never counted one. And here we go. Uh, Bachwinkle's got some breathing room, and he's uh, he's kind of taking Hennig to school here with uh, some arm drags. He went for an arm bar, but got countered, and now he's back. Back to the headlock. <laughs> back, back on the mat. Back to the headlock and back to the mat. And this time, uh, the referee did count. There was a two count, but Bachwinkle got his shoulder up. So... I think what we're seeing here is that Kurt Hennig is more than a match for Nick Bockwinkle on paper. But Bockwinkle, as soon as he has an opening, has been able to get uh, to get up and fight back. Well, that's the old, that is, you know, the old guy coming back. Yeah. You He's, learn after a while. Yeah. And you he, don't have the stamina, but you got the, got the moves, but they're in reserve. Right. And he, you got to imagine... Being a wrestler, being a champion-level wrestler for 20 years, he's been in this situation a number of times. This isn't the first time he's had to fight somebody younger than he is. 
it might be the first time he's had to fight somebody younger than he is who's as good as Kurt Hennig. But Nick Bockwinkel isn't out of his depth just yet. And here we have, uh, at this point, Hennig is uh, blasting him in the face with forearm strikes, which are legal. You can hit somebody with a forearm, just not a closed fist. And you see he's, uh, he's demonstrating to the referee, no, it was, a, it was a forearm, I'm allowed to do that. And Bockwinkel is able to turn it around and hits uh, Hennig with another forearm of his own. Gets whipped into the corner. Ooh! And Hennig went for a big... Uh, Header out the door. A big, well, he went to... Bockwinkel's in the corner. Hennig went for a, went for a tackle to, to sort of impact his ribs there. And Bockwinkel, using that experience, sidestepped it. And, and uh, Hennig sailed right out of the ring and hit his, uh, hit his head and his arm on the guardrail. And now he's clearly hurt. He's trying to shake some feeling back into that arm. And he's trying to get back into the ring. And Bockwinkle is every bit the crafty veteran right here. He's not letting Hennig get back in the ring. Every time Hennig try, you know, grabs that rope to try to get in, he kicks him right in that bad arm. And uh, he clocks Hennig again. And now he's pulling that bad arm through the ropes and uh, hits it with a knee drop. So at this point, the veteran has, you know, he smells blood. He sees, he sees the opening in the young man's game, which is he got, uh, he got overzealous. And he had a kick in the head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kick in the back of the head. Yep. So technically he can win this match if Kurt Hennig can't return to the ring in 10 seconds. But, uh, I think he might want to. He might want to actually pin him here. And here he's got a. He's got an arm bar on. And Hennig is uh, in a in a bad place. And we see uh, Larry Zabisco, who of course is invested in the uh, in the uh, in the outcome of this match, watching uh, watching the developments closely because. Uh, he's number one. Look at this guy <laughs> holding up a sign that says, Larry is a spud head. <laughs> Them's fighting words. But Larry is obviously invested in this match, and he, he wants to see the holes in both of these men's game plans because... That he can wrestle he knows what they got. Exactly right. So his, he's, his plan is absolutely to be, uh, no matter who wins this match, to be a world champion you know, by the end of the year, I would say. And here we go. Now we're seeing. Uh, now we're seeing sort of the uh, the full on assault of, of Nick Bockwinkel on this arm. First with arm ringers, and now he's uh, just trying to set, almost looks like he's trying to separate his uh, separate his shoulder with this uh, with this arm bar. And now uh, again another arm bar. This time driving his knee down into into Hennig's head. And at this point, we're going to start to see as Kurt Hennig, the character, is in trouble, we get to see kind of Kurt Hennig, the performer, shine a little bit more. Because you saw when Bockwinkel threw him into the corner, he really, uh, he really took that hit hard. He, he almost like somersaulted into the, uh, into the turnbuckle and flipped out. So where Kurt Hennig, the performer, really excels is in uh, getting beaten up. 
and we're going to get to we're going to start seeing that now as the character starts to get into a little bit more hot water. Now he throws uh throws Bachwinkle into the corner, but he manages to to counter with the uh, oh, and just like slamming a cake. <laughs> yep, and again he's uh he's got that arm bar in. Look at this little kid in the front row flipping him off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but now uh, Bachwinkle with this armbar kind of reminds us of um, Hennig with that uh, with that headlock. Yeah. Earlier in the match, he found a he found something that his opponent didn't uh, didn't have a, a way to counter, and it was abusing it. And uh, we're seeing the same thing here with uh, with Bachwinkle. But unlike Hennig, he seems to have a number of different ways he can. He, it's not just one arm bar. He's uh, he's wrenching it in different directions. He's really going Doing to work. Both, really on both arms. Yeah, on both arms. And and of course, if you're gonna if you're gonna weaken one body part of a guy you have to grapple with, it should be his arms. Because every uh, every bit of damage that you do to his arms is uh, uh, you know puts you in more of an advantage the next time you have to lock up. And uh, ooh. So uh, we uh, Hennig uh, got out uh, for a uh, for a second and was mounting a little bit of a comeback. He got uh, he threw Bachwinkle into the ropes. He dropped down to to sort of throw Bachwinkle overhead. Bachwinkle stopped, kicked him in the face. Yeah, punted him right in the face, and uh, and Hennig crashed to the ground. And Bachwinkle, by the time Hennig's shoulders were touching the ground, Bachwinkle was on top of him, which shows you that he's. Uh, He's literally on top of things. He knows when to shoot for a pin. And uh, even though Kurt Hennig escaped that at two, by the time he kicked out, Bachwinkle already had his shoulder again, like a dog with a bone here. And to his credit, Hennig keeps fighting out, but every time you fight out of an armbar like this, you're doing more damage to your own arm. You can't force your way out of an arm bar without hurting your arm. And that was a that was a beautiful move there. That was like a, a hammerlock takeover transition into a short arm scissors. Tied him up in a figure four leg lock. A fig, yeah, a figure four <laughs> arm lock. Yeah, short arm scissors. And and it just it just goes to show you how much of a how much of a of a of a technician Nick Bockwinkle is? How many different ways he has to uh, to beat you? And here, uh, Hennig is trying to fold him up, and you saw the pain on his face. He was putting his arm in more pain to try to s roll over and stack Bockwinkle on top of himself for a three. Count. Yeah, he got a he got a two count, but he couldn't hold it because he's putting all that additional pressure on his own arm, and he's still he's still in this hold. And there he is. You see his hand searching at uh, Bachwinkle's foot to see if he can uh, to see if he can leverage it that way. And he's very yep. He's, he's standing on his on his leg. Yeah, he's standing on his leg, and he's managing to pull his arm free. And there he. Uh, Managed to drop a knee on the on the knee of Bachwinkle, and now uh, it looks like Bachwinkle's knee is injured. 
And he kicked him right in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> so now both of these guys, once again, the, uh, the, uh, I love that move where he grabs your, he grabs your foot and essentially does a somersault and walk over yeah, and <laughs> folds your toe over onto your, your forehead essentially. But now Kurt Hennig is, uh, is standing and he's, uh, twisting, uh, twisting Bachwinkle's leg, looking for a figure four leg lock here. One of the, uh, the all time great, uh, wrestling joint locks. And Bachwinkle looks like he's in an extreme pain. So at this point, the playing field is sort of leveled again because now each one of these guys has a crucial body part injury. Hennig's got uh, got a bum arm, and Bachwinkle's got a bum leg. And the other guy in each case is clearly very... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the referee got too got too close to Nick Bockwinkle and he grabbed his hand. <laughs> yeah. Um I think it was because Bockwinkle's shoulders were down. So he didn't you can't so, count. Right. You can't count when you're flying to the air. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the ref is on the other guy's side. <laughs> I think I think maybe that might have been a little bit of payback. Yeah. So Bachwinkle grabbed the ropes, so technically the hold has to be broken. But the referee was sort of kicking his foot, <laughs> maybe sort of in retribution for the fact that Bachwinkle uh, prevented him from counting that pin earlier. And uh, once again, Hennig's going to going to hamstring. Town. Yeah, just sort of stomping his hamstring. And uh, there we go, a, a rope-assisted knee drop. We see again Larry Zabisco watching with interest. From his folding chair. From his folding chair. Yeah, they couldn't even get him a nice chair. I mean, I guess it makes sense. They're not going to have a Barca lounger for Larry Zabisco. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, and Hennig uh, went for another hey, figure boy. four. And Pockwinkle... Yanked his hair and uh, raked the face, which, of course, is not legal, but there's a count of five. Here we go. Uh, these are uh, definitely appear to be closed fists, and the referee is warning him to knock it off with the closed fists. But it looks like... Uh, Looks like the moment has passed, and we're they're both on their feet again. So we're back to square one, and Bachwinkle hits him with a knee lift to the gut, which sends uh, Hennig flying. But he used his bad knee. <laughs> <laughs> he shoots for a pin, and uh, Hennig escapes it too. <laughs> As if to drive home how evenly matched they are. They both. Uh, they both let off these big wild haymakers and clock each other at the same time, and both guys fall down. Just a short, uh, sort of the uh, the end of Rocky Three thing. You know, they both hit each other at yeah. the same time, just to. And here uh, we have a uh, Bachwinkle throwing Hennig head first repeatedly. A head slam. 
Yeah, into the uh, turnbuckle. Into, into the turnbuckle. And it looked like that might have been another concealed closed fist. Again, uh, Larry Zabisco. And a knee lift here. And now we're getting some chops. Uh, chops, of course, are... Ooh. <laughs> Hennig got... Front... Falter. Yeah. Uh, Hennig got thrown into the, into the turnbuckle so hard that he bounced off and did a, uh, did a face plant. The, uh, the idea, of course, behind the, uh, the chop to the chest is to, uh, is to knock the wind out of you. Ric Flair was famous for those because... Oh, and Hennig with a, with a leaping uh, sunset flip went for a pin and uh, Bachwinkle managed to escape. And, oof, they're both on the ground here and Hennig is just slamming, <laughs> slamming Nick Bachwinkle face first by the hair into the mat. One, two, and Bachwinkle escapes. Uh, Flair's was famous for having the best uh, the best stamina in all of wrestling. He was a, he called himself the sixty minute man because he uh, all of his uh, all of his workouts were designed to build his stamina. He wanted to be able to wrestle for fifty five minutes before he started getting tired. So his signature move was always the chop to the chest because every chop to the chest he was knocking the wind right. out of you and making yeah, it hard for you to breathe while he himself had as much as much air as he needed. So that's that was the secret weapon of Ric Flair. And now uh things are kicking into high gear once again here. We get a a missed clothesline and a flying body press. But uh Bachwinkle for for being an older guy is is taking a beating. He's he's taking a beating and he oof. And that was another closed fist, I would say, and a jackknife pin. One, two, and Bachwinkle escapes. So it seems like this referee is willing to play a little bit fast and loose with the rules here. Uh, for one thing, he's no longer even really paying attention to these closed fists. That was the axe. That strike, and one, two, and Bachwinkle escapes Kurt Hennig's finishing maneuver by getting, his, getting his, his hands on the ropes. Which shows maybe the inexperience of Kurt Hennig. Uh, drag him to the middle. Yeah, drag him to the middle before you I shoot for give a pin. A drop. Yep. Head drop. A pile driver. Ooh. And drops him right on his head. Pile driver. Then he hooks the rope again. Yep. Bachwinkle. Uh, here we go. Another chop. And a beautiful drop kick. And he shoots for a pin again. One, two. And he manages to escape. <clears throat> So Bachwinkle still is, he's still tough, you know, he's still fighting, but it seems like uh, Hennig has him on the ropes, literally, in some cases. But he, <laughs> I spoke too soon because he threw, uh, he threw Bachwinkle into the corner and Bachwinkle exploded out with a clothesline that took the younger man down. So once again, they're both out, they're both, they're both sort of a little bit woozy and staggering to their feet at the same time, so... It looked like, ooh, it looked like Hennig was going for another one of those headlocks that was uh, such a, so successful for him earlier on in the match. And this time, Bachwinkle had a counter ready and uh, 
just sort of picked them up and dropped them straight down. Oof. Looks like they, uh, they collided heads there. They were, they were both bouncing off the ropes at the same time, and they knocked heads. And I hear the referee is checking on, uh, is checking on, Kurt, is checking on uh, Nick Bockwinkle, and it looked like Larry Zabisco came over to check on, uh, check on Kurt Hennig. And we get another closed fist. One, two, three. And Kurt Hennig is your new AWA World Heavyweight Champion. Seems kind of anticlimactic, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it did. Oh, I yep. thought he was taking his pants off. No, and uh, here we go. Here's Larry Zabisco. Uh, Larry Zabisco into the ring wants to shake the hands of the new champion. And uh, Kurt Hennig is is given the uh, is given the championship belt. All seems to be uh, all seems to be right with the world. Here's AWA President Larry Blackburn. In uh, in the ring to shake the hand of the new champion, and Bockwinkle seems uh, still very woozy. And here comes uh, Ray Stevens, who is uh, Bockwinkle's trainer and former tag team partner. And he's saying something to the to the referee, to Stanley Blackburn. He's pointing at uh, he's pointing at Kurt Hennig. Now he's pointing at Larry Zabisco. And uh, he's, uh, he's yelling at Larry, and he pulls Larry's hand out of his pocket. And here we see uh, coins. So he's whacked him with a handful of nickels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, he, so, so if you're wondering why it was anticlimactic, there you have it. A roll of quarters. Uh, That'll do it. Larry Zabisco, when he was, it looks like when Larry Zabisco was checking on, uh, was checking on Kurt Hennig after that, uh, after that double head knock, he, uh, he took that opportunity to palm him a roll of quarters, a roll of quarters which he then used on that, uh, on that closed fist to, to punch Bockwinkle right in the head like a, like a ton of bricks. And, uh, and here we have, at this point, everything is descending into chaos. We have... We have wrestlers, we have managers, we have officials, we have uh, about $5 in quarters. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be $10. It could be $10. And, and the end result, of course, is that Kurt Hennig is still the AWA world champion, but perhaps something of a dark cloud hangs over, uh, hangs over this victory. And that's, uh, that's pretty much the end of this match. So what did you think, Dad? I think that the uh, the old guy <laughs> took it, took it in the head with the quarters. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but it was a good match. But it it was a lot of it seemed like a lot of fluff, you know. And 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 but in the end, it was a it was okay. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think. Because this is uh, a trilogy of matches on uh, on Christmas 1986, and and on that occasion, Nick Bockwinkle won clean. He beat the he beat the young lion. 
This, of course, sets up the second match. It's definitely the best match in the series, but I can't really do it for the podcast because it's a, it's, it's a full hour, and that's a little bit, uh, a little bit much. Right. But I will tell you, it's the, best, it's the best match that the two had. Both of them bleed, and it's a one-hour draw. Well, if you wrestle for a whole hour, that's a long time. Yeah, that's a that's a long time, and both of them are both of them are bleeding, and Bockwinkle ultimately doesn't win. It's a time limit draw, which means that the champion retains. Right, holds the title. Yep. So in this, the third match, the blow off match, where we finally we finally figure out who's really the man here. It looked like uh, it looked like. A lot of it was a feeling out process. It looked like it only really kicked into high gear in the end. In the end, and when it did kick into high gear, the younger man cheated and uh, and knocked the old man out. And after that, the the feud is sort of over, and Kurt Hennig moves forward as sort of having escaped Nick Bockwinkle. Nick Bockwinkle only has a few more matches, one of which is against Larry Zabisco. Well, we should pay him back then. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, he. Uh, I believe he does knock out Larry with a roll of quarters, and he uh, should have been fifty cent pieces <laughs> in a sock. Yeah, <laughs> it was just crush his head like an egg. So he manages to defeat Larry Zabisco, and in the aftermath of defeating Larry Zabisco, he retires. Oh, he's good to go out on top. Yep, and of course, Larry Zabisco uses this opportunity to claim that he was the man who retired Nick Bockwinkle, <laughs> and he says. Not only did I def- did I retire Nick Bockwinkle, but I did I re- I retired Bruno Sammartino. I'm the man who retired the two greatest world champions that ever lived. Ah, that Larry, what a spudhead! Well, yeah, he's <laughs> quite a character. <laughs> did Did you have any other any other thoughts about the match? Any other thoughts about uh, the wrestling scene of 1980s Minnesota? No, no. It was I noticed that the ref had paddle leather shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> A little confusing, but... <laughs> like, like Mr. Rogers. Yeah, well, you don't have to shine him. He's <laughs> very popular. This has been another episode of I Hate Wrestling. I want to thank my my guest, who is who is also my dad. Thanks, Dad. Proud to be a part of it, man. <laughs> Your first ever podcast. First ever podcast. I also want to thank. Uh, I also want to thank Corinne Dodenhoff for my logo. I want to thank the Novas for my theme song, "The Crusher." I want to remind you, dear listener, to like, review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes and on SoundCloud. I want you to visit me at I Hate Wrestling on my Facebook page. I want you to visit my website at IHWpod.com. I want you to follow me on Twitter at IHWpod. And I want you to visit me on Instagram at I Hate Wrestling. Dad, do you have... All the quarters. Um, I also want you to come to my shop at IHWpod.com. I want you to buy T-shirts. I want you to buy bandanas for fat, smelly, fat dogs. Smelly, smelly, fat dogs. Smelly, smelly, fat dogs. I want you to... <laughs> he's not fat. He's obese. <laughs> Mildly. Mildly obese. According to the vet. <laughs> he looks like a cantaloupe on four toothpicks. We made him that way. <laughs> I want you to buy bandanas for smelly, smelly fat dogs. Uh, Dad, do you have anything that you want to plug? 
I can't imagine what. No, I'm good. <laughs> well, I will say if you're Chevy trucks, get <laughs> <laughs> <That> one. <laughs> if you're if you're if you're looking for 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 a home improvement work in the sort of ten mile radius around Otisville, New York, you you should look into hiring O'Connell and Sons Home Improvement. We'll be happy to help you out. <laughs> Lion taming, whatever you got. Uh, 10 miles is fine. 15 mile radius, fuck off. Well, we're not going too far. <laughs> you don't want to go too far. Because <laughs> you still have to come back home. So that's right. You got yeah. <laughs> to keep the circle small. Okay. So I did travel to Rockland County last week. Oh, wow. So just saying. It's got, but it's got to be a hell of a job. It's only for the money. You only <laughs> did it for the money. It wasn't like a, a, a pleasure trip to Rockland County. A hobby door repair. <laughs> oh, man, I just got to get my hands on this door. Just wanted to touch it. <laughs> just make it go up and down. Uh, Dad, do you know how I end the show? Huh? Do you know how I end the show? No, I don't. But... I, ask, I ask my guest, who in this case is you, um, if they were a professional wrestler, what their character would be. If I was a professional wrestler, yes, I would definitely have a mask. Okay, definitely have a mask. Well, that's no, no white underwear. Just for everyone's everyone else's sake. No. Well, just to keep me undercover. Sure. Like Lone Ranger. <laughs> I wouldn't have a sidekick. So, like the Lone Ranger with no underwear. Well, we'd have pants, but no underwear. The Lone Commando. <laughs> <laughs> It's possible. Who was that masked man anyway? I don't know, but I don't think he was wearing underwear. I don't think he had pants. <laughs> Hello, police. I'd like to report. I think I don't think he had pants. I'd like to report a man in a ski mask with no pants down at the Civic Center. Wrestling. <laughs> well, you know, the nice thing is they don't have to pat you down. That's a good thing. I think it's fine. I think you're good. <laughs> yeah. Just have a look. Look <laughs> good. Not have a robe like Rocky had. <laughs> Meat packing on the back. your Christmas watching uh, Nick Bockwinkle and Kurt Hennig. There you go. There was really a lot going on in the 80s. <laughs> Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> <clears throat>